Welcome to Innovating Leadership, Co-Creating Our Future. I'm your host, Maureen Metcalf, founder and CEO of the Innovative Leadership Institute. With me on the show today is Raj Suramayar, author of the book, Skyrocket Your Career, Hiring During Recession and Bad Economies. During our conversation today, we're going to be talking about Raj's book and also his TED Talk, Confessions of a Toxic Leader. Raj, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here. Let's talk about the toxic leader piece first. Tell us a little bit about the idea of being a toxic leader and what got you to do a TED Talk about those confessions. That's a great question to start with. So to answer that question, I think I have to take a step back and this will set some good context for your audience as well. So I grew up in the southern part of India in a place called Chennai, which is one of the five bigger cities in India. From a young age, I had this inferiority complex that I wasn't good enough. That kind of stemmed from (laughs) my family surroundings because my dad, since he was born, he studied in scholarships, right? And then you had my brother, who's a genius. He has three masters and a PhD. Then there I was the average kid who didn't do well in anything. You name it, sports, dating, academics. I was average in everything. So there was this constant struggle to prove myself to other people. And I was surrounded by high performers and high achievers. For those of you who are from an Asian community, you may relate to this, where academics is pushed quite a bit. And so I grew up in that kind of environment. All this constant feeling of not being good enough, not being able to get other people to notice me, made me get into this shell. I felt like an outcast, a shy, introverted kid. And this kind of continued throughout my childhood till the first 20 years. And then I came to a point where I was tired of living such a life. So I made a decision that when I enter the workforce, I'm going to make people respect me. I'm going to make people notice me. I'm going to build all the fame and credibility and then prove to people that they are wrong. The first 10 years of my tech life was about proving people wrong. What that resulted in was that I developed all this fame and credibility. People started noticing me. I was the start leader in my space and I had all these awards. I exponentially increased my salary by over 150% in 10 years. So I worked really hard, but then I started feeling isolated and empty. All these past trauma to prove myself to other people started developing some toxic traits which started getting amplified, amplified, and then it became a normal part of who I was. So one part was my childhood trauma and my experience, which I just described. The second part was that I started my tech career in a hierarchical structure, hierarchical environment. So what I mean by that is in India, where I worked, you do not challenge the status quo and you get reprimanded if you do so. You have a boss and he or she decides your future. I slowly realized that I was in an environment of toxic leaders and working with them for long periods of time made me act and think like when I had become a toxic leader, even without knowing it. So it's a combination of my childhood experience and my initial experience working in tech in a hierarchical structure, which gave rise to the whole toxic leadership part. And as and when I was leading teams, I started seeing more of it. I thought, you know what? I have to share my personal experience to help other toxic leaders come out of the closet and then own up to their actions and take positive steps towards a good change in terms of leadership. And that's why I gave my TEDx talk as well. 
you gave some recommendations in your TED Talk about how to overcome it because so many leaders, irrespective of background, everyone has something. And so thank you for sharing yours. Many of us come to leadership with our own baggage. There's something in our history that we know that causes us to believe we're not as good as the next person. And so we're overcoming it. So what are the steps that you recommended in your TED Talk so that others can learn from your experience? And I'm thinking specifically of this whole imposter syndrome Mm -hmm. and how many leaders are making it up as they go and just kind of hope that nobody else notices. So one of the biggest problems why toxic leaders do not own up to their actions is because we live in a cancel culture society where we are afraid that if we own up to our actions, we're going to get barred from society. So the actions of toxic leaders go unabated. And that's why I had to give my talk, because I want to let people know that change is possible. You just have to surround yourself with the right people, have a trusted partner, a therapist, or whoever that could be, where you can talk about what you're going through, what you're feeling. In my case, what happened was, if people watch my TED Talk, they would see that uh, I got caught red-handed doing something which I was not supposed to do. And then I had to make a decision whether to continue the same way or make a change. Can you tell our listeners what you got caught doing? Because it sounds like you stole something and that was in fact not the case. So I found out another person was going to get promoted to the same level as me. And I was actually leading a team and then she was going to become a leader. So I was in this frame of mind that, how is that possible? I am the best leader possible. How can another person get promoted? We had the system of uh, peer reviews where you give feedback about each other, but you don't know the name. So I was one of the peer reviewers for her. And in her feedback, I was not in the right frame of mind. And I wrote things like, you have to be a leader like Raj. You have to be a creative thinker like Raj. You have to be proactive like Raj. And I mentioned this so many times in her feedback and gave reasons on why she should not get promoted. And what happened was my boss went through all these anonymous feedbacks. And then she saw this feedback where my name was mentioned so many times. So she came to me and said, hey, I was actually looking at different feedback for this person. And one of the feedbacks actually stood out to me and I wanted to talk to you about it. So there's this feedback which mentioned your name so many times. And it feels kind of weird that someone would mention your name this many times in giving an anonymous feedback. So I'm just going to cut right to Chase and ask you this. Were you behind this anonymous feedback? So that was the moment of truth. And at that point, I said no. And then I went home and did a lot of crazy things, which people can listen to in the talk. But then there was the moment of reckoning, moment of reflection to see who I'd become and what trauma and my past experiences had done to me. That's what I meant when I said I got caught red-handed because some of my actions was affecting other people. And then there came a point where I had to make a decision and I decided to change. And going back to your question of how you decided to make a change, the thing was, I recognized different things which were happening to me. So one of the things was I couldn't sleep at night. I was living in constant fear of being ignored. I was constantly feeling guilty. I always was on lookout for who are my competitors, and I had to one-up them. 
I always inserted myself in conversations which were helpful for my growth. I used to take credit for other people's actions. So I just started listing down different things I was doing as a toxic leader. And these are the traits usually toxic leaders go through as well. These are the things they start doing, but they do this repeatedly, consistently over a period of time, and they become desensitized towards their actions. And they feel, okay, that's a normal way of doing things, even though they know that it's affecting other people. And I fell in the same category. And then I realized, you know what? I recognize these are the things I'm doing and I had to make a change. So I uh, talked to my wife, then I had my therapist and then a trusted partner at work who could help me get out of the situation. But even before getting out of the situation, remember I said you have to own up your actions. So I did schedule a one-on-one meeting with my boss and admitted my mistake that I was the one behind the anonymous feedback. And then I told her the struggles I was going through and the immediate meeting was with the person who was actually affected by my anonymous feedback. And then I said, there's no excuse for my actions and you can feel free to take any actions. But I thought it was my responsibility to let you know because I decided to change. And this is my first step towards that. And that's how I started changing. And another thing to remember is recognizing the three environments which could make you a toxic leader, right? And that's something which I talk about in my TED Talk as well. So You have this environment of insecurity, environments where you feel emotionally numb, then environments of stress. These are the three environments you need to look out for if you really want to make a change. And the thing is, everyone has toxic traits. As humans, you do have toxic traits. It just gets amplified for some people during stressful situations, during these three environments. And that's what exactly happened to me. So my job as a coach, as a leadership coach and helping people is to make people realize that people are not born toxic. We are all human beings first. And then environments shape who we are. And once you start educating people, start letting them know that you can make a change, then change is possible. So that was kind of the whole summary of what actually happened and why I gave the talk as well. Thank you. I think it's so important as we think about who we are becoming as leaders, who we've been as leaders, that kind of arc of our career. So important, one, to recognize where we started, good person, some insecurity, moved into a place of behaving badly and normalizing it and thinking it was okay acknowledging not okay. And then you have been highly successful after that. So made the changes. I can imagine the embarrassment because I've had my own. And I think most of us have done things that we would rather not have talked about in TED Talks. You just had the courage to do it. I have not. So then let's move into your book about career success and talk about how do these two link moving from toxic leader to writing a book. So there were two separate episodes of my life. So the whole toxic leadership part was an awakening, a time of reckoning. And then I started coaching other leaders through my experiences on how you can get out of toxicity and reduce toxic leadership, not only on an individual level, but even at an organizational level. But then while doing this work, the pandemic hit and mainly in the United States on March, 2020, we experienced the shutdown and there was a global panic. 
or at least in the United States, there was a lot of panic because we actually realized late that <laughs> COVID is real. But anyway, the point is what happened during the month of March in 2020 was a lot of people started reaching out to me via LinkedIn saying, hey, I just lost my job. Can you help me? I'm the only breadwinner for my family and I need to survive. And some people approached me saying, you know, they couldn't get the promotions. They were in furlough because of the pandemic. So I had different cases, which I was dealing with. And I started helping people for free for a month. And I helped about 45 to 50 people in the month of March alone. And half of them were still able to get jobs in midst of the pandemic and still get the promotions, still get the bonuses. And then I started realizing, wow, so it seems like different things I'm letting people know is actually helping them. But the pandemic is a global thing and millions of people have been laid off and affected. So what are some ways I could share these strategies to a larger audience? One way I used to do that was via speaking because I speak at a lot of conferences and private events for companies. But when COVID hit, speaking came to a halt. There was no speaking at all. So I had to pivot and then figure out, okay, what other ways I could impact people and let them know about the strategies. And that's when the idea for the book came. And that's why the book title is Skyrocket Your Career. It's about different strategies to help people figure out what their dream career is. And then how do you get to that dream career in terms of your LinkedIn profile updation? How do you create resumes? How do you ace interviews? How do you do salary negotiation? Then once you get a job, how do you be successful in it? And once you're successful in it, how do you set yourself miles apart from the competition? So the entire job life cycle I wanted to cover based on my experience being in the industry now for what, 17 plus years, that was the story of the book. And so, yeah, there were two separate episodes in my life, but both were pretty impactful for me and other folks I'm helping as well. So I love the idea that you were able to take the first phase of your life and leverage it into the second and into being able to help people. So let's start with the beginning of the book and helping people identify even what is their dream job. How do you help people move from, I'm doing something I don't really love, or I'm doing something I enjoy, but I don't like the organization, all of the permutations that people go through, especially right now when folks are exiting, the economy's changing a little bit. We may not have the option. People have left jobs, became unemployed by choice, and aren't necessarily finding the dream job they had hoped. That's a great question. Before answering that, I think we need to take a step back here because all the things you want to do in life is already in your brain. You just have to unlock it and unravel it one by one. And that's why the first step in identifying your dream career is doing a simple exercise, what I call as the mind dump exercise. It's a really simple exercise and this is how you do it. Take a paper and pen, okay? And then through the middle of the paper, put a vertical line. On the left column of the paper, write down all the things you love to do, you want to do, you want to continue doing. And on the right side of the paper, write down all the things you hate to do and you don't want to do anymore. And do this for an hour in an uninterrupted manner, like no Facebooking, no text messaging. When I say uninterrupted, lock yourself in a room and actually do this because your mind needs some space. And there's a lot of things in your mind. And you once you visualize it, then you can start seeing patterns. So say, for example, you did this mind dump exercise and some of the strengths are the things you want to do are you're a good listener, you're able to convince people, you're very empathetic, 
you are a good communicator. So say those are some of the strengths you listed. Then maybe you could be a really good person in sales or marketing because it aligns with those strengths. So this is just a very random example. But the point is, when you do this exercise, you can find different patterns in terms of, okay, what are the different career options which aligns with your strengths? And then focus on the strengths. Don't focus on the weakness because your weakness is someone else's strengths. There's no use spending all your living life (laughs) focusing on the weakness when you have so much strengths. So do the mind them exercise, figure out three to four career options, which aligns with your strengths. Then once you do that, pick the top three career options. And then what you're going to do is update your LinkedIn profile because your LinkedIn is your baby. Literally everything you do needs to be on LinkedIn because this is how companies recruiting works, right? So they use softwares which actually scans through different keywords on your LinkedIn profile. And if you have the right keywords associated with the jobs you want, then you are going to show up in their search results. And even the information you put on LinkedIn is indexed by Google. So that's why you have to update your LinkedIn profile based on the keywords connected to the job you want. And then you have three different resumes and then you strategize your whole job search. And that's how you start focusing on your dream careers. Because our life is like a human GPS system, right? You say Google Maps, and then without putting the destination address, you cannot say, man, Google Maps is not working, and then you cannot complain that you're not reaching your destination because you don't have a clear focus on where you want to go. And that's where the mind dump exercise helps. It actually helps to narrow down your focus and then just be laser focused on the things you actually want to do in life, which aligns with your strengths. Let's then build in the idea of personal branding. So say I want to be a leadership coach and assuming I have the training appropriate to do that, either that or this is a much longer journey. I say I want to do coaching or social work because you've said I like listening. I like helping people. So I pick the career. I get the training. Now I'm a trained coach. How do I develop then my personal brand? Because there are hundreds of thousands of people out there doing coaching and I want to stand out and find an organization where I fit. Personal branding is an ongoing journey. It's not something you work on immediately when you actually identify a career. So it's an ongoing process. So here's a very simple example. You are buying your favorite brand of body wash for the past eight years. Okay. I use Old Spice, right? And I've been buying Old Spice for eight years. And why am I buying it? I'm not buying it just for the packaging. I'm not buying it just because of the color, just because of the fragrance, just because of the cost, and just because of the durability where it doesn't crack open if I drop it in my bathtub. But it's about all these facets of the body wash, which makes me keep buying it again and again for over eight years. Our personal brand is the exact same thing. It's not just because you have a degree. It's not just because you're a speaker. It's not just because of your writer. It's not just because you're taking extra courses, but it's about all these things which gets packaged into your personal brand. So that's what we mean by personal brand. But now coming to your question, say you want to start something on your own. You want to become an entrepreneur. You want to go to a different company. Say you want to become a coach. So how do you be successful in coaching and build your personal brand? So that's where the three main things which comes into picture. First thing is you have to establish trust. When people not trust you, they're not going to come to you. Second thing is credibility. How do people know that you're the credible person to listen to or the person who can help them? And you can establish trust and credibility when you have the third thing, which is value. You need to provide value to your audience. So trust, 
credibility and value. Those are the three key things you really want to develop as part of your personal brand. And the way to do that is first start with the value. Say, for example, you want to be a leadership coach. Start writing about how you coach people, different leadership topics. Start posting on LinkedIn. Then start commenting on other people's posts and offer value. When you do that consistently, then people know, okay, this person know what they're talking about. And that's when you slowly start building the trust and the credibility factor. And once you establish value, trust, and credibility, then people start coming to you instead of you trying to find people. And I think that's how any businesses work, any job works. You have to establish value, trust, and credibility, whether you have a full-time job working for another company or whether you're running your own business. These are the three key factors you really need to be considering when you want to shine from other people. And you also mentioned, how do you set yourself apart from the competition? That's where you need to find your niche. So for example, there are so many different coaches. You have business coach, lifestyle coach, leadership coach, speaking coach, writing coach. But I brand myself as a tech career strategist. So I help people specifically in the tech space, in engineering roles, to find their dream job and become successful leaders in the industry. I don't work with salespeople, marketing people, only engineering roles, only in tech. So that was my niche. So once I found my niche, then I was able to focus on it. Okay, tech is my thing. I'm going to post content related tech leadership. I'm going to post content related to my ideal audience, which is tech folks in engineering roles. So that's how you start honing in on your ideal audience and finding your niche. So you really need to find your niche. And that doesn't happen magically. Once you want to start something, you need to experiment with stuff. You need to experiment saying, okay, let me try this for a month and see what happens and then analyze it and see how it's working and then pivot. The next month, try a different strategy. And once you start experimenting with things, then you'll finally identify something which gives you joy, which you're passionate about, and which is also your niche. And then once you find your niche, then provide the trust, credibility, and value. And that's how you build your personal brand. I really appreciate that you expanded on the brain dump part, that you're not going to figure out your whole life in an hour. Mm -hmm. It's the starting point, and it is over time, experimenting, reflection, being willing to say directionally correct, but I'm not there, and also test your hypothesis. The trust, credibility, and value that you believe you are delivering has to be in demand from the recipients who are either hiring you as a coach or hiring you as an employee. Yeah, that's why it's also really important to know who your ideal audience is. You cannot satisfy every person on earth. That's impossible. And just because someone has millions of followers doesn't mean they're successful compared to people who have only 300 followers. Because maybe those 300 followers are your ideal audience. And there are millions of followers, they don't have their ideal audience. So the point is don't digress from your goals and from your focus. Just because other people are doing it doesn't mean you have to do it. You just have to align everything based on what your strengths are and where you want to go. You have to keep asking yourself that question again and again on a monthly basis or on a quarterly basis in the sense, okay, what are the different things I'm doing right now? Does it align with my vision and mission? If not, okay, what are the things which do not align with my mission? And then you have to eliminate it. Yeah, even I'm a high performer. I love doing multiple things. And so I also fall into the trap of committing to so many different things. And then after a month, I realized that I have just 500 things to do and only 10 of them actually aligns with what I actually need to do. And this is a great tidbit even for leaders. 
when you have so many different things to do, you really need to prioritize, okay, what aligns with your tasks and what aligns with your mission, and then just focus on that. And other things can be delegated to other people. So those are some things you need to constantly be thinking about when you're running your own business or working for other people as well. It's really easy to fall into the trap of I'm good at a lot of stuff or I'm interested in a lot of different areas and think that I can do them all well and that I have enough hours in the day to do the thing that's most important. And that was one of the traps I've found myself in more than once. And everyone does that. That's part of being human. But the key is to recognize it and then try to take corrective actions. That's pretty much it. Raj, let's now weave in the story of toxic leadership to this component. So there is some interconnection at the point where you were toxic. Say now you're talking to a listener or you're talking to me and I have behaved badly. I've confessed my sins. I've let my boss know that I was in fact the one who gave the negative feedback. Assuming I get to continue working there, now I need to change my brand, not only change my behavior. Let's assume that that has happened and I've now found the light and I'm no longer doing those things. Mm -hmm. Especially in the coaching space, I've worked with a lot of people who change their behavior, but without also changing their personal brand or the perception of them, they have not rebuilt the trust. They have not rebuilt the perception of competence and value and collaboration. How do you help someone who has made the changes, but that's not enough? They need to also change the perception that connects with personal brand. I believe you should let your actions drive other people's thoughts and judgment. That's where it starts. You can just say, man, I'm not toxic anymore. I'm not toxic anymore. But unless you actually show it in actions, people are not going to believe you. So personally, at least for me, that's how change actually started. It started with how can I make my actions reflect the new Raj? That's when I got into this whole psychological safety and other things which are important to the workplace. And for those of you who are not familiar with psychological safety, on a high level, it's basically creating an environment where people are free to challenge the status quo without fear of being judged. And they're free to exchange ideas without fear of facing any repercussions because of it, right? So that's kind of an environment which we want to build at companies or at workplaces. So I realized that if I help to build psychologically safe work environments and then act in a way that would let people know that I've changed, that could be a great start. And that's where I started from. So I did a lot of research on how to build environments with psychological safety. I started talking to other people who have already gone through similar kind of experiences, started doing a lot of reading, taking a lot of courses. And then I started leading with empathy and also started empowering other people. Before, I used to take ownership of everything and take credit for it. That was one of the biggest things I wanted to change. So I started believing in the power of empowerment. And this is what I term as empowerment leadership. And that's the thing I follow, which is you identify a person, develop the person, set goals, develop the person, motivate the person, and then sit back and then let the person do the work. And he or she will reach out to you when there are problems and have frequent check-ins like one-on-ones and stuff to make sure everything is going according to plan. 
once I started focusing on building psychologically safe environments and then focusing on empowered leadership, that's when people started seeing, wow, Raj, you really are giving other people an opportunity to shine as well. And then once I repeating that pattern of empowering other people, then I started rebuilding trust. And then my boss, after a year, told me during my performance review, she visually saw different changes and she could pinpoint exactly what are the different things I did to prove to her that I actually made a change. So that was good. But the point is for anyone struggling with their identity as a leader or, you know, struggling with toxic traits, start small, start with small, small actions, which can help to rebuild that trust. And that repeated continuously over a period of time can then make people believe that you are actually changed. And that's how you build a workplace which can foster innovation and people feel safe and inclusive as well. So something I heard is, okay, I I acknowledge I behaved in a way that I wish I hadn't. So I own it. I studied, I learned, I changed. And then it took a year before people started to trust that the change is true. It's not like I came in one day and said, hey, I'm all different now. I'm all better. People don't trust that that change is going to stick because we've all seen people say they're going to quit whatever it is. Any of us who've been in a relationship for more than a week know that people say they're going to do things and sometimes they do and sometimes they don't stick to them. Yeah. So that's where you need to have frequent checkpoints. You need to figure out a structure where you're answerable to people and then find out a support group who can help you. So in my case, I started seeing a therapist, then I had my wife, and then I had a couple of people at the company to help me out with my transformation. And I had frequent check-ins with all four of the people. They were my support group. So that really helps give you a taste of reality from time to time. Otherwise, yes, as you said, you can continue doing the same thing, thinking that's the right thing to do. And then after a year, you figure out there's no change which has happened. So first, it starts with having an accountability group. That's where you start from. The second thing is being open to feedback. You always want to ask your team and other folks, okay, what are they thinking? If they're acting a certain way instead of assuming things, you want to say, hey, I saw you did this thing. Could you tell me, expand more on why you did that? Having that open communication. So accountability group, then you have a feedback loop where you can get feedback, be open to it. And then having open communication about different things. Say you're working at a company, you need to have frequent meetings, like all hands meetings and team meetings, where you let people know about things which are coming in terms of company goals and vision, changes in the company before they get to hear from someone else. When they hear it from you, that actually helps to build trust. When they hear the news from someone else, then they lose trust in the leader. So that is something which I started doing as well in terms of open communication and town hall meetings as well. Talk about feedback. There are two types of feedback. You have proactive feedback, then you have reactive feedback. Reactive feedback is when someone does something and then you react to it and give feedback. But then I started following a proactive feedback approach. So whenever I was in meetings or in conversations, then I would take one or two people aside in a one-on-one basis and ask them, hey, how did I do? Was there anything I could improve on? Is there anything I could do better in the future? So those were some mechanisms which I put in place for myself to make sure I'm progressing in the right way. 
And then when you do that consistently over a period of time, then you start seeing changes in your behavior. You start seeing changes in the behavior of other people around you. They start trusting you. They give you words of wisdom. Like they give you positive reinforcement. And that really encourages you to keep pursuing that path which you had set out to do in the first place. So that's how transformation happened. And so in summary, you need to set different checkpoints and be answerable to people. If you're not answering to people about your progress, then yeah, no one knows whether you're doing the right thing or the wrong thing. Well, and it sounds like most importantly, you don't know because if you've made the decision to change, that's your intention. But it's crucial that the people observing the change actually think you've made the change and feel differently about working for and with you. Exactly. And you also have to be really careful in who you choose as your trusted partner. You could always choose someone, you know, who has a negative energy around them. They may be a toxic boss as well. And then you're screwed because you were trying to change. And then now you're going back into the same cycle. So you have to be really mindful on who you could open up to. An easy start would be to your significant other or could be to a therapist. It's a third person. He or she is going to give you advice based on her experience. And, you know, it's more objective, right? So I think that's where it starts. You got to be really careful on who you choose in terms of your partners. And then once you've selected the support group, then you can start the transition. And also you want to keep in mind whether those folks had gone through similar kind of journeys. So a couple of them who were part of my accountability group were also toxic leaders, but had to make a change. So I was able to identify them in my workplace by opening up to them. And then they were able to open up to me. And then it was a whole support group. So those are some things you really want to think about during this transformation process. Things I heard that I want to call out specifically. First, you created an environment that was psychologically safe. So I can't ask for feedback, but then thump people and expect them to give me honest feedback. Two, for you, and this is an interesting piece because some people do and some people don't, and there are reasons on both sides, but you let people know you were making a change. So there was an accountability just in saying, as if I were losing weight, uh, starting a yoga program, learning to speak another language, any of the things we say we're going to do in the speaking and letting people know that in and of itself creates an accountability. As a leader, as I'm changing, I am also expecting other people to change how they relate to me. So if I'm micromanaging, I need people to step up so that where I pull back, they step forward. If I'm taking credit for people's work and I start giving them credit, they're not going to trust me. They actually have to know what I'm up to so that I don't perpetuate and even make worse the distrust. So it sounds like a fairly complex process you went through in your own, what I would call then the rebrand. And we were talking about at the beginning of this conversation, what's my personal brand and how do I repair a brand that is damaged? You know, I have the choice of just quitting, but sometimes that toxicity travels with me So refurbishing the brand, then the better brand can also travel with me. Definitely. And just to add to your summary, a great summary of what I just mentioned. One is you have to show your vulnerability. Research has found that leaders who show their vulnerability actually establish more trust and credibility within the team. That is something I started showing because in my past life as a toxic leader, I never used to show people my weakness because I thought, 
If I show people my weakness, then other people are going to supersede me. They're going to succeed on behalf of me. And I didn't want that to happen. But then we know how it ended. (laughs) Showing a vulnerability is key as a leader. So what do I mean by that? Accept things when you don't know. So for example, a team would say, hey, do you think we should take up this project? If you're unsure about it, you would say, you know what? That's a great question. Even I'm kind of trying to get clarity on what to do. Why don't we both sit together and figure this out? So now you showed your vulnerability. Say if someone makes a mistake, instead of finger pointing the mistake and then embarrassing them or reprimanding them, instead say, hey, yeah, I saw we committed a mistake. Yes, it's a mistake, but let's figure out what we actually learn from it. And then you share a similar kind of mistakes you have made as a leader in the past to let people know it's human to commit mistakes, to err is human, right? We have that saying. So showing a vulnerability was really key in this transformation process. The second thing was I wanted to create environments where I get really open feedback because a lot of people are hesitant to do that in a group setting. I already talked about one-on-one meetings where I could get frank and open feedback, but I also wanted to facilitate a group setting where I could get open feedback. So in tech, we have what is called two-week sprints, where every two weeks you develop a part of a feature of a huge product. And at the end of every sprint, you have what is called retrospective meetings. And in those retrospective meetings, what they do is they actually talk about, okay, what went well, what didn't go well in terms of the project. But what I did was extended it a little further. I had a two-hour retrospective meeting. In the first one hour, we discussed project. And in the second one hour, we did what is called a human space session. Human spaces are open discussions about various different topics, which happens within four walls, and nothing goes outside the four walls. It's like the Vegas rule. What happens in the room doesn't get out of the room kind of deal. And I used to encourage people to vent out in terms of what is not working. If someone has a problem with someone, this is your time. Openly, let's put your problems on the table and let's solve that as a team. And during that process, there may be some things which come up regarding me and I have an opportunity to address that or make a change. So having that environment of open communication without fear of being judged, which again goes back to this whole psychological safety concept, really, really helps to get open and honest feedback because I hate it when people have all these feedback about you, but you don't know it until the end of the year during your annual performance reviews and then get dinged for it. And it's not fair because you didn't even give a chance for the other person to improve. You didn't give them feedback. So when you see something, say something. As a leader, apart from building vulnerability or showing your vulnerability, You need to figure out, okay, how can I create environments where we can encourage open conversations, open communication? And this is one way I did that, where I had open human space meeting within four walls within the team. And then I did fun events where I used to host what is called potlucks. People bring different dishes, food, which they cook from their native country, native place. And that's the rule. If you want to be part of the potluck, you have to cook something native to your place. What that does is, say, for example, I'm Indian. And then if I you know, have some Indian dish and then there's another person who is from Sweden, for example, and then they would taste my Indian food and they would say, wow, this tastes really good. What is that? Then I would say something like, yeah, the samosa is like a dumpling kind of deal and it tastes really good. Wow. So is this something which all people have? No, it's actually 
a staple of northern part of India. So now you're encouraging that whole conversation and the team building and that, you know, you get into people's personal lives. And why is this important? Because during work, we work with people from different regions, from different cultures. Some things which you do may not be obvious to another person. And that also leads to microaggressions, right? But the point is, say, for example, the personal space concept. So in India, we don't have a concept of personal space while working. A person can be right next to your shoulder watching what you do. We find that normal. But here in the United States where I live, even before COVID, we had a six-foot personal space. (laughs) And if you break that personal space barrier, then people find it creepy or they find it weird. So these cultural differences also come up when you have these potlucks and discussions. But anyway, there are so many ways you could actually build environments where you can encourage open conversations. What I mentioned were just a couple of them which I've tried, and they definitely work. It feels like you're making a big stew and you're adding additional ingredients like microaggressions and understanding people's cultural differences to create the back to psychological safety and in an environment, which I assume, even though you said, I want to create a psychologically safe environment and bringing in the potlucks, if people then are supportive when they voice a concern, that builds over time. That's not a, we're going to change our environment and we all show up and believe, like, I wouldn't trust you because I don't know you. And many people having been the victim of well-intended change that isn't delivered, still take time. Even if you, Raj, have changed, I don't know about everybody else on this team because they may still be taking credit for my work or whatever the thing is that I don't trust people. So it sounds like, again, you have changed the organizational culture, you've changed the processes, you've changed your behavior, and then you've allowed time for people to grow into back to your value and trust and competence and the ongoing feedback. If you see people who are not behaving in a way that's consistent, it comes back up in the next meeting at the end of the next sprint. Exactly. Based on the structural meetings you've established. I tell people that me being a toxic leader and getting caught was a good thing which actually happened to me because uh, it forced me to rethink my life my leadership style, and then got me into this whole space of psychological safety, looking out for the team, increasing team morale, increasing retention. You know, it took me to a whole new domain, which would not have happened if I decided not to change. So I'm glad that I had to hit rock bottom to make this transformation, but it really opened up my mind to different things which makes things possible at workplaces and corporate environment and brought me into this whole topic of diversity and inclusion. For example, me being a person of color, I'm married to a Caucasian, German, Irish woman. I have a mocha baby. My company's name is Chai Latte Consulting. Chai for brown and latte for white. So everything has been intentional. All those things would never have happened if that one thing didn't happen where I got caught red-handed of being a toxic leader. Even my last name, for example, before recording, we were you know, practicing pronouncing my last name, Subra Meyer. Yes, it's a different name, like an interesting name, which people usually do not have. And it's interesting because my actual name was actually Subramanian, which is like the John Smith of South India. Every second person has <laughs> Subramanian. And then my wife is German. Her name is Wiesmeyer. So we decided to combine Subramanian with Wiesmeyer to make Subramanian so that we can form our own legacy. So 
diversity and inclusion is not something which I just talk about. I really want to implement in my life as well. And it was a chain reaction. That one incident literally changed the next eight to 10 years of my life. And uh, that's why I tell people, it's okay if you hit rock bottom. But something to realize is, what are you going to do about it? Are you going to make a change? Or are you going to stay in the same boat, which is sinking, which you know that as well, but do you really want to make a change? So I think everyone usually gets these two choices and everyone hits rock bottom at some point in their lives. It's about the decision they make, whether to make that positive change or not. So I love that the idea of skyrocketing your career integrates the story of reforming your career. For new people, they're not yet reforming because they haven't done anything wrong. But for many of us, as we're on this journey, we have big, I hit rock bottom, or little, I tripped over a curb and broke my nose, kind of wake-up calls. And we can wake up after the trip, or we can wake up after the catastrophic incident. And we get to continue to make those choices proactively and reactively. So hearing your story, I think, will inform many people as they're thinking about, okay, I'm at a plateau or I'm at a dip. Now, how do I rethink who am I in this context and how do I then reform? And in the process of reforming, I rebrand. Now let's go back to the book. I've decided what I want to do next. I've branded or rebranded. Now what do I do? Throughout the book, I talk about real life experiences I went through. And there's so many crazy stories like how I applied for 1,293 jobs and got only one job out of it. Then how I swiped $3,000 of money using my credit card when I didn't have money to get rid of my fear of public speaking. So I put all these stories in the book and then I put actionable strategies on how I made the transformation. And I think that's what makes the book impactful, right? Because one thing which was missing from a lot of books which I've read is they always talk about success stories. They don't talk about the experiences and how it ties into the strategies. And that's the gap I really wanted to fill. Yes, 99 pages of different strategies combined with my real life experiences on what I did, how I failed, how I made the transformation in each and every aspect. And it's not only the job hunting aspect. It's about how to become a better leader, how to be a better speaker. How do you have different routines to actually structure your life, not only your work life, but even your personal life. So I cover different aspects which I've learned and the different experiments which I've done as well. For example, in um, 2016, for four months, I listened to 150 podcasts and I read 30 books, no TV, nothing. So I like doing experiments in my life and I share what I learned from all these experiences and what kind of transformation people can have if they really have a strategy in place on what they want to do in life. So that's what the book is about. And also, I was really glad that people were relate to a lot of things in the book. So let's go into routines because some of the tactics we've heard before, but you bring together some that we also haven't heard. So let's start with routines. Why are they important? And what for you is an example? This is a question to your audience, right? So what do you think is uh, common between Steve Jobs, Bill Gates, and other great leaders you know? It's that they have routines. Each one of them have routines. That's why they can perform at the highest level. Routines vary based on people and through experimenting with different things. 
you can figure out, okay, what best suits you, right? And I also talk about routines and determinement book as well. But just to give some context, let's take an example of different things I do. So I have three types of routines. I have morning routines, I have daily routines, and then I have weekly routines as well. So I do different things based on these routines, right? So for example, in mornings, when I wake up, the first thing I do is, of course, after brushing my teeth, I need to have this one cup of coffee, right? In silence and enjoy it. Then I do meditation for 10 minutes. And then I do a mind dump of all the things in my head, which are going through my head in terms of things I want to do, things which are giving me anxiety. So I write down all those things. Then I actually put a number between one to 10 in terms of the priorities of different tasks, which I need to do that particular day. And my whole motto in life is to finish the top three things every day. And for the top three things, which has a number one, two, three, I would block one hour time blocks on that particular day to actually focus on those tasks. So say, for example, I need to finish a blog post for an entrepreneur or, and then I have to give a talk. Then I have to prepare slides for an upcoming talk. Then I would actually put one hour blocks during the day to focus on these critical tasks. And then at the end of the day, before I close my laptop, I try to see, okay, what tasks I've already accomplished. And those which I didn't accomplish gets carried over to the next day's to-do list. And that's kind of the whole weekday routine and my morning routines, right? But in terms of the weekend routines, what I do is I have a 30-minute time block, usually on a Saturday or Sunday. Now I have a toddler, so my time is, so, is based on when I'm free, but I always do it. What I do is I look at my schedule for the next two weeks. What are the important meetings which are coming up, which I need to prepare for? What are the important deadlines which I need to be mindful of? And then I already start proactively putting time blocks throughout the week to focus on the upcoming tasks. That way, when you start your week on a Monday, you don't feel anxious or stressed because you're already well prepared for what is coming. You know exactly what's coming. You know what you're going to do in that particular meeting. You know what you're going to do in that performance interview, which you're going to go for. So you already are well prepared. In this way, you can reduce anxiety, stress, depression, because I suffer through anxiety, stress, and depression, right? And routines and mindfulness really help me to get back on track. And these are some of the routines which I follow. I've been following for four or five years in And it's helped me perform at a really high level. So for example, just in 2021 alone, I uh, gave two TEDx talks. I was on 75 podcasts as a guest. And then I wrote 25 articles for different publications. And then I worked with 20 one-on-one clients. I did two group coaching programs. And then I uh, started working on my fitness. I I had fitness goals and I did all those things I was able to achieve while having a toddler and then doing a full-time business and having family time as well. So how are you able to do that? Then because you have routines. And this is what the leaders you see in media do. They have routines and they stick to it and they treat their time as their baby. And they're very mindful on what they do, how they do it, and where they spend their mind, their mental effort on. It's interesting that you mentioned this, and maybe this is why I highlighted this specific topic, especially during the pandemic, we got militant about routines. What do we eat? Where do we shop? Yoga, working out, our whole lives were tightly managed so that we could accomplish the things. I wrote a book during the pandemic. 
still continued client work. Like everybody else, the demands on our time became much tighter in some ways. So having really healthy routines meant I wasn't running to the refrigerator with the five minutes between meetings and seeing that there was nothing healthy to eat. So not just the business routines, but the life routines that allow me to show up and be fully present at work when I'm here and not wondering the car's not repaired, there's a leak in the basement, all the stuff of life that interferes, finding a way to manage as proactively as possible, all of that stuff allows me then as a leader, when I'm present with a client to be fully here, not half of my brain focused on that other set of stuff that's undone or pulling at me that there's got something I have to go run out of here in five minutes to building on fire type thing to deal with. Yeah. And just to add to what you're saying, a couple of things to mention is I do this meeting with my wife. So we both have shared calendars. Mm -hmm. We actually schedule everything and make sure who's going to pick up the kid. And so it's good that you mentioned this not only for work, but this also for personal life as well. That is something to think about. Raj, as we wrap up, what do you want our listeners to take away? You mentioned three things to do on a day. So give us your top three that you want listeners to absolutely take away from your podcast. I would say that you can always be an effective leader and it's not too late to make a change, number one. Number two is to empower people if you want the best out of them and best out of you as well. And number three, have routines and be really uh, mindful about what you do and whether it aligns with your mission. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing your vulnerability, your systems, your routines, and how you recovered and have helped other people be better at a point in time in the world where we absolutely need everyone to be able to show up. And for everyone who's facing anxiety and depression, which is most of the people we know right now, that the vulnerability even of acknowledging that and that it's okay and we're going to get through this together is incredibly important we really are traveling these paths that may appear separate, but they're so intertwined and your success builds on everybody else's and vice versa. Thanks for having me and I appreciate you giving me an opportunity to share my story and hopefully it inspired other people to make a change and do great things in life. Beautiful. Thank you. And do you have a place where people would contact you? I understand you can buy the book on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and the places we all buy books. Where else would they reach you? So all my life's work is on my personal website, which is rajsubra.com, R-A-J-S-U-B-R-A.com. There you'll find videos of how I help people, all my content, which I write in different things related to what I do. I also live pretty much on LinkedIn 24-7. So Make sure you follow me there and connect with me there because uh, I post content on all these topics, which we just discuss on a daily basis, and you will learn things and uh, you could also connect with me and I would love to make new friends. So those are the two best ways to connect with me. And of course, for my book website, it's called skyrocketyourcareerbook.com. And there people can download the first chapter for free to make sure the book is really going to be helpful for them. So those are the ways you can reach me and support me as well. Thank you so much. We will put all of that in the show notes. 
and to our listeners, thank you so much for engaging with us. We trust that Raj's conversation will be valuable to you. Please continue listening, like us, share us, and listen again in the future.